Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Life used to be much simpler when you were younger, isn't that true? When you were small, things are easy. When I was younger, life was simple. I became a Christian, as Tracy was talking about, when I was a young age. I was a child. I remember the moment I said to my mum, I want to become a Christian on my birthday. I want to do it on my birthday because I don't want to forget the day I decide to follow Jesus. I thought, what a lovely idea. What a sensible young man. On my birthday, I woke up, I opened all my presents, I ate all the food you shouldn't be eating. I got all excited and I played all my friends and parties. And that evening, my mum said to me, weren't you going to do something today? And I racked my brain probably for some time. And oh, I was going to say yes to following Jesus. And when I was just four years old, I said that prayer of, Jesus, I want to be your friend. I want you to come into my life. And I've probably said it every year since then, just to double check. But when I was four, it was really simple. But life got more complicated and Christianity got complicated and church got complicated. Why did it get so complicated? Why did life get busy and complex? And so I want us to look at this concept of how do we make church simple, accessible, understandable, because it can get so easily complex. Jesus said to his followers when they tried to stop the small children coming to him, he said, let the children come to me and don't hinder them, he says this, because the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Listen to that, that like these children. Sometimes people say to me, I know you won't believe it, they'll say, I just need to be fed still. I need more meat. I need more mature teachings. I need to know things that are deeper and harder to understand. I'm like going, first, we've got to learn to be like children. Somebody once said, the entrance to the kingdom of heaven is a meter high because adults have to get on their knees and humble themselves and children can walk straight in. I love that. And when we go, oh, I need deeper, I need more. Really? Have you loved your neighbor as you love yourself? Yeah, I'll go back to the milk. I think I'll start that one again. Life is complex and difficult and our walk should be simpler. Church should be simple, but simple things are not always easy. So over the summer, I went back to a classic uh, scripture from Acts chapter 2, where it talks about the early church. So here's the story. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the story of Jesus. He has come and done his miracles, told his stories, told his disciples. And then um, there's this moment where Jesus is taken. He is, he's put to death on a cross, and he comes back to life. And he says to his followers, his, his disciples, he said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send someone to be with you. Go and wait for me. And they wait, and there's this moment, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls. Some of you will know this story. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the boldness. And, and Peter, the guy's always putting his foot in his mouth, stands up, preaches his heart out, and 3,000 people get saved. They probably didn't have any new, new Christian packs ready for the 3,000 people, did they? But it was just like it's crazy. He preaches, and suddenly there's a response. 3,000 people gather and at, they were in this place, they're trying to work out, how do we do church? We've never done church before. No one's ever done it before. And we have these 3,000 new converts. How does it look? At Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42, 47, there's five verses that give us a blueprint of how church should be done. Acts chapter 2, will come up on your screens here, it says this. All the believers devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Everyone a little bit nervous now. We're going to start asking for you know, an offering in a minute. 
They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Not hearing many amens. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Who would like to be part of a church that sounds like that? Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds fun, sounds exciting, sounds dynamic. I wonder what attracted you to come into church this morning. I wonder what brought you to Freedom Church. Quick turn to the person next to you and just say to them, what brought you to Freedom Church? 30 seconds, what brought you to Freedom Church? Anyone willing to shout out their answer? One sentence answer for anybody? Anyone brave enough? Community. Someone's a community. Fantastic. Any other thoughts, comments? Go on, say it. Go on. You want to see your friends? Yeah. Your friends, people to be with. Yeah, belonging, community. Family. This is interesting. Anyone else? Worship. Double barreled worship there. Wonderful. Thanksgiving, yeah, praise, worship, thanksgiving, anything else? Lovely music, excellent, yeah, music as well. Great, you know, this idea that church should be simple, it should be attractive, people were added to them every single day. There was goodwill, people around heard about it, went, this, this group of people are amazing. But that, that, I'd love that to be the story of Freedom Church. The town of Romsey went, those guys are incredible. Have you ever been into one of their meetings? Have you seen how they treat one another? Have you seen how they love one another? Have you seen the difference they make? Over the next seven weeks, I want to look at this concept of simple church. Simple church. Help us understand what is the culture that makes freedom church. Culture is very powerful. And for us to decide uh, who we are and what we're about and to get some clarity. Now, if you've been part of the church for decades, it's good to be reminded of what we're about. And if you just kind of turn up this morning going, whoa, what's all this? This will really help you understand who we are. Today, I'm just going to do a brief overview of the next six weeks. So don't worry if we don't get into too much detail. I don't come and see me. Let's talk much about that. That's because we're going to do this over the next few weeks. Simple church, because church gets complicated. Life gets complicated. Every now and then, it's good to stop, isn't it? And write down and remember, why do we do what we do? That's my title for today. Why do we do what we do? Why is a really important question. Over the summer, one of the books I read was a book called Start With A Why. Um, The writer, Simon Sinek, talks about the importance of understanding not just what you do, but why you do it. He talked about lots of businesses and lots of businesses who understand the what. The what is like your outer circle. What do I do? I make certain products. I provide certain services. What kind of church are you? How do you operate? What kind of family you are? What kind of job do you have? What do you do? Hopefully most of you in the room know what you do. Then maybe you know how you do it. So how do I provide those, that product, that services? How do I run church? How do we do things? Acts chapter 2 is a description of how they did church. But the really, really important question is why? Why do we do what we do? Now you might think it's very easy, very simple, Sim. Surely you should know that. You're the church leader. You'd think, wouldn't you? 
you'd think, I thought I did. But I had to spend some time going, why is it that we do what we do? Because how many times do we go through life and we end up doing things we've no idea why we started doing them? I'm not talking about jobs around the house or just, but you end up in situations, thinking, why, why am I here for? Did I work it all out logically? Was there some sort of gut feeling? Why do I do what we do? The why is a really important question. Let's just look at this for a moment. When it comes to the Alpha course, which you mentioned this morning on the screens, always awkward watching yourself on a screen, isn't it? A video or, or hearing yourself sort of talking aloud. You, oh, what is that? Who is that strange looking guy? Um, but if you start with the what, what do we do? And I've heard this a lot with Alpha. What we do is this. We say, Alpha is a course we run. It's an informal understanding about the Christian faith. It starts on Wednesday, the 21st September. Do you want to come along? Perfectly reasonable. That's what it is. That's what the course is, and that's when it is. You come along. But if we turned it round and we asked the question, why? Listen to how it sounds. I've written this down. As a church, we are committed to helping broken people find meaning to life. Because people really matter. We believe in a God that loves you and that his love is the answer to your needs. One of the ways we help people learn about God's love is through our Alpha courses. They're informal evenings with food and short presentation. It starts on Wednesday, 21st September. Do you want to come? Do you see what we did there? What is just the factual information why is so much more powerful? When we understand the why, when you understand why people do what they do, it's always much more attractive. When you meet somebody for the first time, and they tell you what they do. It's sometimes of interest. But when you find out why they do it, it blows your mind. I'll always remember I was having a conversation with a, a, a member of the board of Youth in Romsey. And we were on the board together. And I had made an assumption, because this person is a local councillor, that he'd done it for political purposes. It's a local community group, it's well known, and it probably helped his role within the community. And we were stuck one day, it was one of those bizarre things, we were in Memorial Park waiting for Princess Anne. And for security reasons, we had to be there an hour early, and we were just sort of standing around waiting for her to arrive. You remember that day last summer? And I'm in this conversation with this gentleman, and I said, why do you do the job you do at Youth in Romsey? And he told me this story about his nephew, that had committed suicide because he got himself into debt and he had no one to speak to. And he thought, I've got to do something about this. I need to change. I need to get involved with our young people. How can I do this differently? He'd heard of Youth in Romsey. And he said, I'll get involved. Now, when I discovered why he did what he did, my perspective and understanding of him changed over. Do you understand what I'm saying? Suddenly, went, whoa. Suddenly, he was, he was, I was more impressed and there was more power to what he was talking about because there was a really good why, a powerful why, a very sad and distressing why. But it helped me understand who he was. And when people know why you do what you do, everything changes. Why do we do Freedom Church? Why does Freedom Church do what we do? So when I looked at this early church, Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, I came up with 10 distinctives from five verses. It wasn't difficult. 
I'll throw them out for you here. We'll put them on the screen. Number one, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, 42. They were, they were committed to learning, to understanding, to the leadership, the fellowship. Lots of people just now talked about community, belonging, fellowship, really important. Um, they talked about sharing meals, including the communion, uh, with great joy. Prayer was there as an important part of that early church. A sense of awe. Imagine that sense of awe, miracles, signs and wonders, a common situation. They met together regularly in one place. They shared everything they had. They gave money to those in need. Next screen. And they worshipped and praised God. And they also, they didn't just gather in one big crowd. They met in homes around the city. And then all the goodwill of all the people was enjoyed. And I looked at those different things and I thought, are we doing those things as Freedom Church? When I started here at the church over three years ago, I spent some time looking at a very passive scripture. And myself, along with the leadership team, we came up with a mission statement or a vision statement. If you show the next screen, it says, a vision is this, a large, vibrant, worshipping church community based in Romsey, enabling as many people as possible to find and follow Jesus. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? Sounds good. It sounds great. I'd love this to be a brilliant, big church full of energy and vibrancy and connecting and making a difference to our town. So then from that, we created this thing called our mission, which um, next screen. Here we go. Helping people find and follow Jesus. That's what our mission, our purpose, what we're about is. Some of you who've been here a while will recognize this. Helping people find and follow Jesus. And we wrapped four things around that. How do we do that? We do this by making sure everyone's welcome. We want to create an accessible church, a place where people of all ages, all backgrounds, all um, denominations and backgrounds can come and say, yes, you're really welcome, and make sure that every generation is welcome here in this church. Secondly, we want people to be connected, a sense of belonging and a sense of participation, that people can be involved and they can be part of community and family, belonging. They can be connected. Connect groups come into that. Then we talk about growing stronger, that we want to be disciples. We want to get fit and get ready for all that God has ahead for each one of us. And we talk about growing stronger in him. And we're creating sort of uh, online resources and courses and things for us to help us grow stronger as individuals. And the last piece, the jigsaw there, is this idea about making a difference, about some of our work that we're doing in the community, about kingdom, about social justice, about partnering with other agencies and working together. These four things wrapped together made up our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. And it all sounds nice. It's all in, I like boxes. Isn't it nice? you all in a box, isn't it? And I kind of read through this this summer and I went, I feel like we're missing some things that we've just not stated. And I went through Acts 2 and I listed those 10 things out and I had bits of paper all over my conservatory. And I just went, you know, there's some things we're just not saying that need to be part of who we are. And you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I know what you've missed. You missed this, this, this. Maybe. Bear with. Let me introduce you to the Freedom Rocket. Now, bear with me. I may have just, you know, got a bit carried away late one evening. But we have the Freedom Rocket because I had to add a couple of things in because you know what? What is it that powers us as a church? It's our worship and our prayer. It is our connection with the Holy Spirit, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit and understanding the word of God is a concrete truth that we stand upon. And I'd made some assumptions, thought, you know what, that's what we do. And we've got to state it 
to make it clear that's what we're about. And so I stuck on to that's what powers us. There's also more to it. You know, there's a whole thing that goes on beyond, below the waterline, things you never see. There's the structure and the organization, making sure that we are a generous church, that we're empowering people. We're creating team and servant leadership, that we are uh, creating healthy partnerships and working together in team. That's what fuels us. That's what makes this thing work. And over the next six weeks, we're going to look at those six different things that jumped a bit out of the box there. But worship and prayer, word and spirit, make a difference. Everyone's welcome. Get connected, grow stronger. And uh, what fuels us in our generosity, partnership and empowering people. That's what we're going to cover over the next six weeks. At this point, you're thinking, well, I've cleared my diary for the next six weeks. I'm off. Or you might be thinking, I can't wait to hear what they're going to say next week. I hope it's the latter. But we're going to talk about this because I think it's really important. If we don't make it plain, if we don't make it clear, the Bible tells us the vision is not simple and clear, then people are unable to run. I thought it was great the word that Adrian said earlier and Lottie mentioned, you know, this idea about rubbernecking and looking at other things rather than what has God called us to be looking at and directing at. You know, when JFK said to, he announced to the nation of America, we're going to put a man on the moon. That's a really easy phrase to say, isn't it? That's simple. We're going to put a man, man, moon, moon. We'll put the two together. Easy, says JFK. I'm sure it wasn't as easy as that. I'm sure it caught great, great complexity in the concept. And I want to, the second thing I want to say this morning is to watch out for what I've entitled mission drift. Mission drift. Sorry, next slide. You know, we need to stay sharp and on point and on target and on mission as a church. Absolutely. But it's so easy to slide away from our mission. In fact, NASA themselves, after the shuttle disaster of 1986, came up with this phrase, normalization of deviation. That it's really normal to deviate off your main focus. That you get up in the morning, who's done this before? I'm going to do this today. And within a couple of hours, you are a long way off doing what you thought you were going to do. Anyone else do that? The amount of times that I go onto my phone because I need to check something, and I end up got always a notification about something, just me. Oh, I wonder who, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that was going on. I put the phone down, go, I haven't even done what I was going to do. I haven't checked the date or phoned that person or checked, you know, what, I haven't done that. I've gone off track. It's so easy to go off track. And if NASA can do it, I reckon you and I can do it and the church can do it. We can lose our way. We can deviate from what God is calling us to do. And we have a mission, church, of what we're meant to be doing. And it's so easy to lose our way. Here are three famous examples of businesses that have lost their way. Number one, you'll recognize this one, Blockbuster Video. Remember Blockbuster Video? Going to the store and having to choose a physical copy off the shelf. And arguing with your spouse or your friends about which film you felt like watching. You remember that? You had to go down and they had to go, oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, well, should we go for this one? They had to go home, watch it, and then find out it's rubbish. You had to take it back to the shop. Remember those good old days? Now we can sit and argue with a remote control in our hand over Netflix or whatever we're watching at home. Blockbuster video was worth $8 billion. $8 billion. It was huge. The guy who set it up in 1985 was offered $20 million for it two years later. He sold it. Four years later, worth $8 billion. Should have held on a bit longer. But just 10 years later, nobody wants to buy it. It's worthless because nobody rents videos anymore. They went off track. They stopped doing what they were doing, which is all about bringing entertainment into the home. There's a new way of doing it, and they hadn't moved with the times. Blockbuster video. Number two, Kodak. 
Who remembers Kodak? Around since 1888. They've been going for quite a long time. They know cameras, they know film, they know how to take pictures and make them look fantastic, but they lost their way. They were worth $80 a share in the 1999. By 2010, 80 cents a share. Lost their way. They were all about cameras and films and taking great photos. They decided they'd pull out of the digital market and focus on film, proper old-fashioned film instead. They thought that was the way forward. Kodak are no longer with us. The last one I'll mention this, Blackberries. Not the ones you eat. Blackberry phones. If you were a serious businessman in early 2000s, you would have a Blackberry phone. Hands up if you had a Blackberry phone. Come on, own up. Hands, keep your hands up if you still got a Blackberry phone. Oh, that's so awkward, Fergus. That's so awkward. Ten years ago, one in three people in the world had a BlackBerry phone. One in three people had a BlackBerry phone. They were the best device for sending emails, prompt text messaging, the BSM service. That's what they did. But they lost their way. They were worth a fortune. Everybody wanted one. And then along came iPhones and smartphones in 2007, and they lost their way. They had mission drift. We're all guilty of drifting. I mean, if big businesses with huge budgets, with you know, expensive staff and leadership teams can go off task, so can you and I. In fact, here are some pictures of people who went properly off task. I love these. There's loads more. I've got three here. Okay, the first one. If you're going to paint the word school on the road, look at it closely. You'd like to spell it properly, wouldn't you? That's just so awkward. Imagine the guy on the CCTV camera taking that picture. The guy scratching his head. What have we done? Oh, dear. Fail. Next one. Ah, little slalom for the cycle riders. The website had 50 pictures. I've only chosen three or four. Here we go. Or the next one, if you're going to build a, a, a bridge, make sure the two ends meet. I mean, that's quite important, but isn't it? Imagine that conversation over the gap. Awkward. Next one, if you're going to build a cash machine, make sure people can reach it. I mean, someone put that in, didn't they? And then they go, yeah, that's fine. I've done my job, it's on the worksheet, tick it off. Or it could be worse. Well, I guess you can reach it there, sitting down. We can all make mistakes that can go, thank you, Levi. Easy to make mistakes, easy to go off task, easy to think a bit too small and get stuck in a rut and a silo and not think about the bigger picture. What are we trying to do here? Why are we doing what we're doing? We just start thinking about the small and the now and we get stuck and we get lost. Even churches, believe it or not, make mistakes. I know you'll find this hard to believe. And I spent a lot of time this week on the internet, as you'll soon see. Because here are some classic church errors. Here we go. The first one. God doesn't make mistakes. That's true. I believe in that phrase. Uh, the person who made the sign, American signs on the side of roads. If you've been to America, there are some brilliant ones out there. Okay, there's loads more. Some I couldn't put up here. But here we go. The second one. I love this. Now is a good time to visit. Our pastor is on vacation. <laughs> now is a good time. And the last and the final one, this is a classic. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. That makes you pull in, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm going to go to this church. 
Let the church help. Fantastic. The church gets it wrong. We make mistakes. Not just Freedom Church, but churches generally we do get it wrong. And we sometimes we take our eye off the ball and we stop letting the main thing become the main thing and we get sidetracked by small things. And we can do it. I can do it. We can all get stuck into our bit of church. We start getting worried about certain things, about whether we have the church chairs laid sideways or the other way around, where the lights, the curtains, the parking, the time we meet. It's amazing what detail people get sucked into that becomes important. But that's never the reason why we do church. We never got into this church thing about whether the coffee should be instant or not, fair trade or not. That was never the reason we did church. That was never the heart in Acts chapter 2. And we get sidetracked in our little kind of thinking, and it's, just, it's small thinking. And God's thinking is so much bigger than that. He created the church that was going to last for generations, for generations. And we are participating in a generational movement. For 2,000 years, people have called themselves church and met in all kind of different ways. The Great Commission hasn't changed in all that time. Jesus said this to his disciples, his followers, in Matthew 28. I have been given all power, all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. That's our mission today. It hasn't changed. We've got a responsibility to tell as many people as possible about the good news of Jesus Christ to all the world. Not some of it, all of it. We've got a responsibility to tell our neighbor and a response to travel as far and wide overseas as we can. And I'm so excited to hear about Will and his efforts getting sponsorship for Uganda, carrying water containers this week. And Lucy, who won't say anything, who's got to be really quiet for two hours, sponsored silence to help her dad get to Uganda. If you can support and sponsor, that'd be great. That's why we do what we do. We want to go into the world and tell the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our mission, discipling those who say yes. That's what it's about. That's the Great Commission. That's the what. But why? Why do we do? Why do we do church? Why do we sing songs? Why was it on Wednesday that we had a, 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 a food bank was open and this last four months, 160 families have been fed through the Romsey Food Bank in the last four months. That's what many people here in this room have done with your volunteering. I was also with Joba on Wednesday morning and we were visiting somebody, our fourth client for the CAP Debt Advice Service and sitting there in someone's lounge desperately with issues of mental health and huge amount of debt, wondering how am I going to get through the next season of life and for people Joe, to be honest, more than me, walking in the room and saying to them, this is what we can do for you. We will get you debt-free. We will bring hope into a hopeless situation. That's why we do what we do. Why are we doing those things? Why do we go to people's houses? Why do we run connect groups? Why do we do alpha courses? Why is the heart and the root of what we do? And I spent so much time going around in circles, and I thought I'd got it. Then it was like a sort of slippery bit of slope. No, that's not it. And I got to this point. And you're going to go, Sim, did you really make us listen to you for half an hour to get to this point? And I'm like, yeah, I did. There's a famous uh, theologian called Karl Barth. And Karl Barth was a Bible school professor. For 50 years, he taught some of the best Bible school uh, students. And at the end of uh, one of his uh, sort of teaching series, some of the students interviewed him. And one of the questions famously he was asked was, in all your years of teaching, what is the most profound truth that you have got to share with us? In 50 years, 
of teaching deep theology, what can you share with us? And he said this, it's brilliant. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. 50 years of teaching Greek, Latin, deep understanding of Old Testament, New Testament theology, boom. The why we do what we do is God loves us. God loves you and God loves me. That's why I do what I do. That's at the centre of the circle, the what, the stuff, the style, the how. It's just, it's just stuff. Why do we do it? Because God loves us. Love so great he sent his son Jesus to die in our place to take the punishment for you and for me. That's why. That's why I do it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world so much, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love kept Jesus on point, on mission. Jesus praying in the garden said, God, if there's another way of doing this, then let me know if you want to take the cup away from me. He's, no. And it was God's love that held Jesus on the cross for you and for me. It wasn't some great strategy of church building. It was love. It was love. And we do church because we want to express God's love to other people. We're running the cap centers to help you in debt because we want to express God's love to other people. We're feeding 160 families through the food bank because we express God's love to people. We sing songs. We want to declare God's love for you and for me. That's why we do it. We serve great coffee because we say, you know what, when you come into this church, we want to say God loves you and God is extravagant and wants to bless you and thinks highly of you and thinks you're amazing. God's love is why we do what we do. That's what I do, what I do. Ultimately, when I peel back all the layers of the junk and the mistakes and the errors and the problems and things I've said that I wish I hadn't said and the things I've done, I wish at the end of it all, it's because God loves me. The reason that as a four-year-old boy, I said, Jesus, I want to be, I want to be your friend. I want you to come into my life is because I understood as a child that God loved me. And then life got complicated. And I had to go back to being that child and say, God, I just want to be your friend. I wanted to say once again, I do what I do because you love me. Not because of clever strategies or a book that I've read. Because ultimately, you sent your son Jesus to take my place on a cross. Romans 5 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still Sinners. Didn't earn it, didn't deserve it. God did it. Because he loved us. He loved me. And we can so easily drift off course. We can so easily make mistakes and we can veer to the left or the right. But we need to get back on track, church, remind ourselves, why do we do what we do? We live in a broken world. Our friends, our neighbours, our relations, they're struggling with issues of health, with finances, with relationships, with work, all kinds of challenges all around us. We live in a broken world and they need to know that Jesus died for them, that God loves them. They are desperately needing the person who made them to be reconnected. Listen, when I, when I, I had an electronic device and when I broke it, I took it back to the shop at the place where I bought it from and they said, we can't help you. We just sold you the product. You need to take it back to the place that made it. Only they can fix it. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
people need to be connected with the one who made them. Not just people like you and I, but we need to connect people to the power of God Almighty himself. That's what we're about. People are desperately needy. We live in a town where thousands of people this morning got out of bed and they are hopeless. They are broken. They are lost and they are hurting. And we have the answer to thousands around us. That's why we do what we do. Because until we get to the day where every single soul on this earth says yes to Jesus Christ and every knee bows, the scripture tells us, then we've got to keep on telling the story of why we do what we do. That God loves us. He loves me and he loves you. It sounds so simple. God's love is our why we do what we do. Let's get the worship band up, shall we, Jim? Come and help me out here. I've had to challenge myself on this. Have I always, have I gone off to one side or another? Have I allowed myself to slip into different thinking? Have I stopped reminding myself of why I do what I do? Have I got stuck into, you know, and Lottie will tell you this, I can get stuck into church programs, church planning, church structure, leadership this and events for this and I can start thinking all kinds of things ultimately none of it is as important as remembering at the center of who I am is a broken person that needs the love of Jesus Christ he's the one that makes me and completes me and that's what I'm about when I stand one day in front of God in heaven and I can reel off to him all the clever things I've done I did a great sermon series God you'd love the, the freedom rocket was amazing they loved the freedom rocket I don't think he's going to be that impressed. Did you love me? Did you love me? Are you a good and faithful servant? Did you live your life for me? Did you live a life like my son Jesus did? What would happen if Freedom Church and the community that's here in front of me makes up Freedom Church? What if we lived a life of love in that way? What if we treated people the way that Jesus treated people? What have we connected with our town, our streets, our community, our families in that way? What a difference it would make. God's love for you and for me is the why we do what we do. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.